Thanks be to God. Uh, please join me in a time of prayer once more. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we're just so thankful that you are our Heavenly Father who loves us and deeply cares for us, a God who will not forsake us nor leave us. And God, as we delve into this passage together, Father, would you speak to us, and through your Spirit, would you illumine our hearts and minds at this time, and help us to be able to not only understand um, your word, but would you help us to apply it uh, to our daily lives. God, we commit this time to you. Thank you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Where do I belong? I think this is a question that continues to echo in our hearts. Why is that? Why do we continue to wrestle and struggle with our longing to belong, the sense of belonging? It's because we are wired for community. God created us for community, and we are never meant to live in isolation. We are never meant to do the Christian life alone. We are called to do life together. This morning, I would like for us to to think critically about the importance of community and to help you stay engaged uh, and to to, uh, better follow along. Um, Here are the three points that I'll be making uh, during this sermon. Uh, Number one, created for community. Number two, beware of the illusion of community. And number three, community is more than a Sunday. Let's jump into the first point together, created for community. See, nowadays, it's becoming increasingly difficult for us to experience deep, genuine, and authentic community because we live in a highly individualistic society that values privacy. I mean, isn't this not true? In his influential book, The Great Good Place, Ray Oldenburg introduced the concept of a third place. And we spend most of our time in two social environments, home being the first one, which he regarded as the first uh, place, and our workplace, which he regarded as the second place. And Oldenburg argued that third places are anchors of community life where we meet, interact with, and connect with other people. What then is a third place? A third place is a place where people come together, not under any obligation or, or not their force today, where they come together organically to experience community, to experience life together, where they can experience a sense of being connected and belonging. To give you an example of a third place, a coffee shop, Starbucks, and you walk in, and it looks more, more like a cozy living room. It has a lot of comfortable chairs and couches. And it is set up that way. It is designed intentionally that way to encourage people to connect, to, to get to know each other, to, to encourage interaction, to give people opportunities to connect. But here's the problem. Because we have grown so accustomed to doing life alone while living in this highly individualistic society, These third places are actually becoming places where people come to be alone together. You know, as I was doing sermon prep um, this week at Starbucks, I was surrounded by people um, with with, uh, headphones in their ears, and every single person was staring into their laptops. No one said a word, and we were completely okay with that. We were alone together. And this is what we are comfortable with, and this is what we actually prefer. Paul Tripp explains 
how living in a highly individualistic society affects our desire to pursue community and our ability to do life together with the people around us. And I quote, we all prize our right to privacy and guard our personal lives. So much of society, from popular culture to the workings of the internet to the very design of our suburbs, encourages something beyond individualism. It encourages isolation and privatism, which one dictionary defines as being non-committal to or uninvolved with anything other than one's own immediate interests and lifestyle. Unfortunately, the society that we are currently living in has, has that become the perfect breeding ground for individualism and privatism. Perhaps this is the reason why we even cringe at the thought of doing life together with the people around us. Because it's inconvenient and you don't want to be interrupted. Perhaps this is why we have such difficult time being honest and real with the people around us. Perhaps this is the reason why we refuse to openly share what is really going on in our own lives with the people around us because being vulnerable feels like a death sentence to us. We would rather carry the burden alone, even if we really desperately need help. We would not cry out. Perhaps this is why we don't mind and even prefer relationships that are shallow and superficial because we don't want to be exposed we're afraid of being truly known. Why is that? Why is that? It's partly because we have been um, heavily influenced and conditioned by the cultural norms of our highly individualistic society, and this is what we're comfortable with, right? But it's mainly because of sin. It's a sin issue. What happened in the Garden of Eden? I mean, we all know, right? Go back to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. But this is a thing, and this is a question that we all need to ask ourselves. How does sin affect their relationship with God and also with each other? I would, like to go, I would like for us to go to Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. It reads, Then the eyes uh, of both were opened, this is after they sinned, and they knew that they were naked, and they uh, sewed thick leaves together and made themselves loincloth. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the, and, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You know, from this, mo from this moment onward, we're going to see this hide and seek being played out between God and humanity, Right? We're the ones hiding in guilt and shame, but we see God pursuing broken sinners like you and me in love, and he always outruns us with his amazing saving and transforming grace, right? But notice what happened and what they did after they sinned. They begin to distance themselves from God, right? They ended up hiding because they realized for the very first time that they were naked. They were embarrassed. They felt exposed. They experienced shame. And they were afraid of being known. As a result, they began to distance them, themselves from God. As you can see, sin destroyed the personal and perfect intimate communion that, that they had with God himself. But it also shattered their ability to live in harmony with one another. But it was never meant to be this way. And as you can see, sin destroyed that 
dynamic. And Paul Tripp reminds us, and as I quote him, God has designed human beings to live in community, first with him and then with one another. When we read in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for men to be alone. These words are not the lonely cry of Adam, but spoken by God as an expression of his creative design. From the outset, God designed men and women um, to be social beings. We only fulfill this particular intent of our designer when we live in worshipful community with God and interdependent community with other human beings. If community was vital in the perfect world before sin bent and twisted us and our surroundings, how much more vital is it now? In verses 19 to 23, the author of Hebrews reminds us of two important things. Number one, what we all have in common. That we are all broken sinners, wretched sinners saved by grace and in need of this saving grace every moment of our lives. The author of Hebrews reminds us that we do have a great high priest whose name is Jesus, who continues to intercede on our behalf, and he's the one who has made a way for us into God's presence. He also reminds us what actually brings us together. It is not our ethnicity, it's not our upbringing, it's not our socioeconomic status, it's not our common interest. What actually brings us together is our common allegiance to Jesus Christ, our identity as precious and beloved children of God, that we are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And in these verses, the author of Hebrews reminds us, this is the reason why we come together. And we're called to live in this context, to do life together. From the get-go, we were created for community, and God has redeemed us for community. And we are called to live in community. We are called to do life together. Jumping to the second point, beware of the illusion of community. In verses 24 through 25, the author of Hebrews reminds us that we really need each other because we're sinners in need of God's grace, and we are never meant to do the Christian life in isolation and alone, right? And he calls us that we really need each other. And, and how? Verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He reminds us, do not neglect meeting together. Come together. See, nowadays, thanks to the advancement of technology and various social media platforms that are readily available to us, I mean, we are able to connect and stay connected with the people around us with the click of a button from our cell phones, smartphones, and computers, right? I mean, nowadays, we don't even have to go outside to have this sense of, I guess, belonging, to stay connected. We could actually do this very comfortably from our own living rooms. But here's the thing. Social media can give us a false impression that our lives are deeply connected when in fact they are not. The question that we really need to ask ourselves is, are we really connected? How many of us are actually doing life together? 
in his book, The Imperfect Disciple, Jared Wilson, warns us about the danger of the illusion of community, and he writes, it seems strange now to talk about social media in this way as if it is something people do, something people go on. Now, nobody gets onto the internet. We're always on. The internet has become the very matrix of life and culture itself. We carry constant connectivity in our pockets. The web has become the atmosphere, and yet, as the virtual world becomes less virtual, as our near-ubiquitous connectivity has shrunk in the globe, we are not any less isolated, and we aren't any more real. Even our transparency, our authenticity is a posture. We show what we want to show. It's a ruse. 90% of family life is simply not ready for Instagram. Is it any wonder that so many of us struggle with church community because it doesn't seem Instagram-worthy like ever? You put a bunch of people together who aren't even blood-related and expect them to be utterly devoted to each other as blood relatives ought to be. And you ask them to open up to each other, to share with each other the the reality beneath the social media shams we're all so busy perpetrating. I mean, let's be honest. Isn't this so true? We tend to just show what we want to show. We hide what we don't want people to see. But it gets worse. In his book, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, the author Tony Reinke, he gives us a solemn warning about the spiritual ramifications of spending too much time on social media. And this is what he argues. Our smartphones amplify the most unnecessary distractions as they deaden us to the most significant and important distractions, the true, true needs of our families and neighbors. My phone conditions me to be a passive observer. My phone can connect me to many friends, but it can also decouple me from an expectation for real-life engagement. When I go into my social media streams, too often I use Facebook to insulate me from the real needs of my friends. Facebook becomes a safe and sanitized room where I can watch the ups and downs of others as an anonymous spectator with no compulsive impulse to respond and care in any meaningful way. And as I do, I become more and more blind to the flesh and blood around me. Hiding our unflattering features is very natural and easy online, but excruciatingly hard and unnatural offline in healthy local churches and honest relationships. Self-editing is less possible in genuine face-to-face relationships. There is no Valencia filter for the real-life you. Without honestly acknowledging these online tendencies, we will continue to think local church awkwardness is a strange feeling to be resisted rather than a precious means to reshape us. The more distracted we are digitally, the more displaced we become spiritually. Something to think about. See, our online tendencies inevitably change the way we do life together offline. We really need to be careful. Our online tendencies inevitably affect our ability to be really present in the lives of the people whom God has placed intentionally in our lives offline. See, connecting and staying connected online is not the same thing as meeting together in person offline and doing life together offline. Those are fundamentally different things. Jump into our last point. Community is more than a Sunday. In verse 20, in verses 26 to 31, the author of Hebrews reminds us 
the importance of community, why we need each other, why we need to come together and do life together in light of the seriousness of sin. See, because we live in a broken world, we need each other. And because we ourselves are broken sinners in need of God's grace, we desperately need each other. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. See, our walk with God is a community project. God often uses the people around us to draw us closer to him, to deepen our faith in him. We are transformed in community. We were never meant to do the Christian life alone in isolation. And Paul Tripp draws our attention to this delusion that we all struggle with, and this is what he argues. We live with the delusion that we know one another, but we really don't. We call our easygoing, self-protective conversations fellowship, but they seldom ever reach the threshold of true fellowship. We know the cold uh, demographic details about one another, married or single, type of job, number of kids, general location of housing, etc. but we know little about the struggle of faith that is waged every day behind well-maintained personal boundaries. I mean, do we really know what is going on in the lives of the people around us? The very people that God has called us to do life together, NCF. There's a TV show called This Is Us. A lot of you are smiling, which means you've been watching. Personally, I haven't watched a single episode, but I've heard enough about it. (laughs) That is a great show. And I'm sure many of you are watching this show right now and have been watching and Everyone is raving about this show. And that got me thinking, why is that? Why is that? What is it about this show that stands out to people? How is this show bringing people together? What is so special about this show? This is us. And then it finally clicked. I think this show has done a masterful job in portraying what life in this broken world actually looks like. It's unfiltered, it's unedited, it's raw, it's real. And because of that, this show resonates deeply in the hearts of so many people because life is hard. Living in this broken world is hard. It is frustrating. It is discouraging. And sometimes you just want to give up. And then comes the next hardship. It's never-ending. But I think the reason why this show resonates deeply in the hearts of so many people is because of its comforting message. And this is something that we all have been wanting to hear. And you know what that message is? It's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. How are you guys doing, NCF? I'm sure as we're coming into church... People asked, how are you? How was your week? Maybe you just smiled politely and walked away. And and saying the same response you've always said on a weekly basis, I'm fine. The week was okay. And we were conditioned to respond that way, right? 
because you don't want to reveal what is really going on. You don't want to be exposed. You don't want to be truly known at the fear that people may think twice about you, may, or they may not necessarily love you the same way. But are you really okay? When was the last time you reached out to, to someone in this community, the very people that God has called you to do life together with, and told that person, I'm not okay. I need help. I need accountability. I'm struggling with sin in my life. I feel so lonely. So it's impossible to do the Christian life alone in isolation. We're called to, to walk together in faith. Have you been growing in grace? Have you been growing in your knowledge of God? Are you, have you been growing up in the gospel? And if you've been trying to do this alone, the answer is probably no. You're struggling, barely surviving. Maybe you're just angry all the time, just complaining about everything because you don't even know that you've been spiritually hangry because <laughs> you haven't had a good spiritual gospel meal in the context of a community, the very community that God is calling you to do life together with. Perhaps you've been going to church all your life, 10 years. But because you've been walking alone, thinking that you could actually do this by yourself, perhaps you have celebrated your first birthday 10 times. There's no growth. There's no development. There's no spiritual formation, right? I want to draw your attention to the fact that the words we and us is mentioned throughout this passage. Verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by, by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, pointing to what Christ has done for us on the cross, right? What brings us together, verse 21, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This passage that we just read can actually broke, broken down to three, three sections. Verses 19 to three, the author of Hebrews sums up the gospel for us. In verses 24 and 25, he reminds us of the importance of community, right? And verses 26 through 31 is about broken sinners and what we are accustomed to living in this broken world. But I'm not sure if you caught this, but do you know what brings the gospel and broken sinners together? It's the community. What's mentioned in verses 24 and 25. Do you know what holds the gospel and broken sinners together? It's community. Verses 24 and 25. And this is why we need to be intentional and make conscious efforts to come together so that we can really do life together. 
I mean, sin utterly destroys and breaks everything on his path, right? It wreaks havoc. And I don't need to paint that picture for you of what sin may look like to you, right? But we're all struggling. Let's be honest. And this is why we need each other. And this is why we need to keep each other accountable. And this is why we need to walk in faith together. This is why, for, the very, for these very reasons, we need to come together to the life together. Can I ask you to take a moment and, and, and look around? These are the very people that God has placed in your own life. They're your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And God has intentionally brought all of us together. And these are the very people with which God is calling us to do life together. This is us, right? This is us. And when we do life together, let's be honest, things may get really awkward. Things may get messy, chaotic, uncomfortable. Things may even become ugly as sinners come together. And as they seek to do life together, it may get ugly. But this is us. And as we, the more and more we come together and the more and more we learn to, to do life together, to persevere together in faith, we do point each other to Christ, who is the one who not only brings us together, but who is the one, he's the one who will continue to remain faithful to us until the end. But not only that, the more and more we get together and do life together, even in the, in, even in the midst of brokenness, but sometimes that's all we see because we're, we're just entrenched in it. But then the more and more we surround ourselves with brothers and sisters, we are able to see what God is really doing, even in the midst of all that brokenness, that God is doing something beautiful, that we are being redeemed, that God is using even the bad things in our own lives for our own good. And because we are in Christ, the good things that God has already given us cannot be lost and that the best is yet to come. That's how our story is going to end. So with that in mind, we persevere together in faith but this is not natural for us right we'd rather do this alone it's comfortable it's convenient we've been conditioned by our society to live that way and our sinful nature always gets in the way of deep intimate authentic relationships and doing life together but unless we make ourselves available, unless we come out of our own comfort zones, and unless we put ourselves in a context where we can really do life together as God intended us, we're going to continue to find ourselves struggling in our walk. And brothers and sisters, you know, as I was preparing this message, I was just so reminded of, what God is doing in our midst, but I'm so thankful for every single one of you. It's not an accident that God has brought us together. And this is the context in which that he's calling us to do life together. Can we make ourselves more available? Even if that means our lives may become a little bit more inconvenient. But knowing that, this is the, the context in which that he's calling us to do life together. Let's, let's practice that. Let's stand for each other. 
Let's stand together and continue to run the race together that is marked before us because this is us. And this is the context in which that God wants us to grow together in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for the work that you are doing in our lives. God, more than anything, would you help us to be able to cherish you and treasure you more than anything in this world? And Father, if we have been deceived into believing that we can actually do this Christian life alone by ourselves, and, and if we have been neglecting this very community that you have blessed us with, Father, would you forgive us? And Father, would you challenge us and as we try to apply this word into our lives, Lord, that God, we cannot do the Christian life alone in isolation. So Father, would you help us so that we may learn to to intentionally come together, to do life together, that no matter how difficult uh, it, it gets, Lord, that we will stand together, that we will continue to push each other closer to you, that we will encourage one another, carry the burden together, and in doing so, Lord, that we will be able to see um, the beautiful things that you are doing in our own lives, Lord, and in, our own, in, in the midst of our communities, Lord, and that as we do life together more intentionally, Lord, May we become that compelling community uh, to the broken people around us, Lord, where they will be able to see Christ being manifested uh, as we seek to live intentionally for your kingdom and glory, Lord. Father, we're so thankful. I'm so thankful for this community. Thankful that um, you are the one who brought us together. So God, would you help us to be more intentional about doing life together? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.